Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Make sure to check out the video version of this podcast at youtube.com slash gameofmicrophones. See everything you're missing. Come for the egg. There it is. Are you mad? You've never survived this. Well, happily, neither would you. To choose violence here is to declare war against your king. Wonderful. Even if it ends in the death of your unborn child and its mother. Play the game of microphones. You win or you die. From within the house of black and white, it's Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan. Well met, spurned second sons and conspiring small counselors, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome. That's right, you're hanging with the litter-riding, dragon-flying, egg-thieving, kiss-stealing, woo, crab-feeding, maiden-pleasing son-of-a-gun, and I'm having a hard time keeping this steel sheathed. Oh, and I am Lord Zack Feeder. Of all crabs. <laughs> Welcome to episode 122. On this episode, we're covering the second episode of House of the Dragon, season one, episode two, The Rogue Prince. And in case you're not already aware, this podcast is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen all previously aired episodes of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. And if not, there's still time to be eaten alive by hungry crabs, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. 
Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. In consideration of further spoiler avoidance, we understand that most listeners have likely not read Fire and Blood, which covers this period of the Targaryen reign. Therefore, we will only be discussing events from the Dance of the Dragons that have already come to pass on House of the Dragon, and we will take caution not to spoil drama that is still to come on the show. Without any further ado, let's get into our top five highlights of House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 1, The Rogue Prince. All right. Top five. You want to start off with your number five, Lord Zach? All right, absolutely. My number five is the crab feeder. <laughs> yes. Uh, man, so we just get a quick glimpse of him at the very beginning, um, just with the mayhem on the beach. Um, really, like, it reminded me of some Greg Nicotero, you know, practical oh, yeah. effects uh, from The Walking Dead. You could see the muscles how, inside of the skin moving at one yeah, point. Yeah, how just decayed some of the bodies were. And it's like, okay, they're all dead. And then there's like the little crabs crawling on one guy, and then he moves and kind of comes back to life. And uh, it was just super hardcore. I was like, oh, a lot of these people are still alive. So brutal. Um, and then we see him, you know, he kind of, they sh- at the very end, when uh, Damon and uh, Coralis Valerian are talking, you know, they show him again. Um, you know, and is uh, is actually one of the one of the more iconic scenes from some of the trailers. It's like, who's right. this guy with a hammer, like hammering on the beach, the crucifying you know, people? And, you know, we get a quick glimpse of it in those trailers. Um, so now we know, you know, it's the, the crab feeder. Crab feeder, what an epic concept! Really cool to uh, see what he's doing with these, you know, sailors, and a lot of them are probably just merchants, but they are just take, you know, pirating the ships, you know. And wrong place, taking wrong the crew, taking taking all you know the spices and whatever goods you know are in their uh, cargo holds, and just leaving leaving everybody that they capture. And, you know they kill some of them and leave the rest to be eaten alive by crabs. Oh, what a way to go! What a way to go! So brutal. And did you uh, notice that a lot of people are pointing out that his helmet is kind of remindful of the sons of the harpies, uh, or their, his mask? Sorry, kind of remindful of those guys. Yeah, it kind of, I mean, it does look like a mask, but his shoulder and some of his arm, like, it looked a lot like Jorah when he had the bad grayscale. Oh, the grayscale. So, right. I'm thinking, you know, is this is this guy basically condemned already? Um, so, he's just going crazy? And he's just making the most of life, you know, nothing to lose, um, and just going all out doing whatever he wants to do, you know, basically becoming king of the stepstones, you know, for lack of a better term. Right. So it's, uh, but I mean, it does look like a mask because there's like metal over his nose and they have a good, you know, front on shot at the very, very end, the closing, you know, yeah, his face is all messed up. He's got scars that just rip through the flesh and like, you can see a deep depression running down his cheek. It reminds me of uh, Alex terrible from the band slaughter to prevail. Uh, okay, sort of reminds me of some of the the Bond villains where they're like you know deformed and you know half of a mask or something like that. It yeah, was, yeah. It was a different looking you know villain, if you will, um, than a lot of the Game of Thrones you know villains that we've seen. Is very almost otherworldly, but I'm but, here for it. But did he have barnacles on him? I'm trying to remember. I feel like there were barnacles somewhere. Right there was there were when we at the almost at the very end when they cut. From when Viserys announces who he's going to marry, and then this goes straight to Corlys and Damon talking at Driftmark, 
there's like they they I mean it's like a good three or four second hold you know slow zoom and hold on this it looks like a a pot but it's not a pot it's like a a piece of you know a sculpture or something and there's like yeah it's like a face but it's got all these barnacles or something on the side of it oh, and that seemed yeah, like that it was, was symbolic cool. or I don't know it was it's pretty interesting but it's like some random art or something the yeah. office of a nautical adventurer yeah yeah you'd have all kind of cool stuff like that. Okay, yeah, and you know he's called Crab Feeder, but his name is Kragas Drahar. Ooh, ooh, that's a cool name. Garam always comes up with like cool names for this show. <laughs> you know, very, <laughs> really cool. And they names. went with Cra- well, they went with Kragas Crab Feeder to give you your CC alliteration. Ah, uh, nice. Anything else you want to mention about that? No, I don't think so. You know, I think you know this upcoming episode we will get. Uh, some oh, yeah. good conflict between you know uh, Damon and the crab feeder, possibly Corliss. Uh, I, try, I can't remember exactly how this plays out in the books. Uh, don't want to give anything away, but it's the, obviously that's what they're what Corliss is trying to uh, get Damon to do is you know solve a problem for Corliss, but at the same time, it, it's a chance for Damon you know to prove his worth and his abilities you know to King Viserys, the small council, and everybody else. While at the same time, you know, solving a, a pretty big problem for uh, Cor- Corliss Valerion and his fleet. Yeah, I'm liking Corliss, man. He seems like a pretty, pretty cool dude, except for the whole yeah, like cool. marry my 12 year old daughter thing. <laughs> but hey, it's, it's right. the times, you know, That's what are we going to do about it? Custom of the day, I guess. <laughs> While we're talking about the beginning, why don't we talk about the uh, new new intro for a moment? I was pretty excited, personally, that they used the same theme song from the original Game of Thrones show. For me, I appreciated that. It seems like that's like the, a unifying factor between the shows that'll signify that they're all part of the same universe and stuff. I know a lot of people were upset and were hoping for a new piece of music and everything, but I like that they kept it the same. Uh, although the, the graphics that go along with it are a little bit confusing. What did you think about that? Yeah, I really liked it a lot. You know, when it first came on, I was like, okay, the first few bars are the same. I'm like, are they going to tweak it or do something interesting with it? But, you know, they didn't, which, you know, it's, I mean, at this point, you know, it's almost timeless. I mean, it's in the, that song is in the zeitgeist. It's yep. been on, this is probably the Simpsons. It's been on South Park. Yeah. Um, it's been everywhere. Everybody knows that tune. If it ain't so, broke, don't fix it. Wiener, right. wiener, so wiener. There's that, you know, <laughs> and <Park>. they, <laughs> So they're they're using the original song, but they're doing a whole new you know graphic overlay. Um, so I really liked it when I first thought about. it, I was like, I, I would really want a new original piece of music, you know, from Ramin Jawadi. That's what I was expecting just, too. Just out of the you know this, my selfishness, but <laughs> you know just you know just to hear something new and original. I mean, so many great songs from the original series, but like you said, this this is basically going forward going to solidify. The GOTCU, Game of Thrones Extended Cinematic Universe, a GOTECU or whatever, you know, if you want to call it that. Right. Um, Because they have the MCU and the DCEU anyway. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, if they're going to do, if they're going to, I mean, they they scrapped the Long Night project, but if they're going to do a Jon Snow project, if they're going to do a 10,000 Ships project Nymeria. uh there's a lot of stuff in development that obviously like the long night just because it's in development don't mean that it's going to get made yeah but if they're going to really you know go for it and hbo you know has the money you know if they continue to have the money going forward after warner brothers and all their financial 
issues. Hopefully they can continue to fund. But I mean, if, if HBO Max is getting the subscriptions to go along with however many, you know, 10 million, 20 million right. eyeballs that watched the it's premiere of, last week. It's a lot of liquidity. So they're, they should be able to, to you know, cash flow that, you know, turn it into a net positive to make the network money to where they can continue to fund big, sprawling, epic dragon shows fights. and project. Yeah, mainly yeah, CGI budgets <laughs> for, the, for the dragons. Um, but I really like I really like the original music, and it does. It's going to tie all the shows together, probably going forward. I love that. Um, so cool. And then the the visualization of the intro, basically, it looks like a piece of uh, old Valyrian architecture, and then they're sort of starting at the top and just kind of swirling and moving down as they go through it. And a, a few things I've seen that people are thinking that each of those little medallions or little sigils or whatever is representing a Targaryen king yeah. and or uh, a daughter that marries a king. And we're and seeing so the, the literal the little, bloodline. Right. The bloodline uh, <laughs> from Aegon, you know, down to his son, you know, Magor and Splitting on and on with down the to various Jairus, children. And then it splits, um, you know, with Emma and Viserys here. And then I did notice the the one near the end, I think it's right when, George's name comes up, you know, before it says Fire and Blood. I think executive producer George R. R. Mountain, George R. R. Martin, <laughs> is that little, it looks like the symbol of the Trinity, sort of. That little, this on that necklace that yeah. Damon gave Rhaenyra. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that little symbol is for Rhaenyra. It's near the end, which, I mean, makes sense because she's oh. right now the end of the Targaryen bloodline yeah. in history at this point. Um, and then it kind of goes from there. So they've taken so the symbol on the necklace and transposed that onto the visual bloodline thing to symbolize right. her as, as the next heir in line at this moment, basically. Right. And the one, bef- the medallion right before that was, I think it showed Viserys and Emma right together. And his little medallion was like the shape of his crown. Yeah. It's pretty, I mean, it's not basic crown, but I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to describe it, you know. It's low fantasy as opposed to high fantasy. Right. It's not super fancy or anything, but obviously very functional. But that, the kind of from a side view, a profile view of his crown is his uh, medallion. I, I can't think of a better term for each of those little pieces on the uh, that whole opening sequence. So some, the, some of the ones like of Aegon at the very beginning, just like a dragon, I couldn't really tell. So there are some, some interesting different ones and but like in the the original show it changed from episode to episode if we were going to be in oh, right. marine and king's landing and winterfell those were the places it showed on that episode with this one because it's the bloodline i don't really know if it's if it will change at all week to week i think not, it's going to because we're this show covers a span of like 30 odd some odd years right and Airs may change. Things may happen that could alter the the path of the blood yeah. flow and the bloodline, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the in because, the intro. Yeah, because we already got a six month time jump from episode one to two. So. Yeah, and a nine month or a nine year time jump from the intro scene of episode one to the beginning of the actual show, or you know, to exactly. the first shot of the dragon, Rhaenyra riding a dragon. So we've already got yeah, all- nine and a half years at this point. Exactly. So I, I really liked it a lot. And at the very end, you know, it all kind of culminates. It's, it kind of shows you the whole thing from the top of the pyramid, you know, all the way down and then flows past, you know, Viserys and Emma and Rhaenyra 
and it shows you, you know, basically the bottom of it. And it's, you know, the three headed dragon of House Targaryen and all, uh, all the edges, you know, the different little individual waterfalls of blood, you know, are kind of pouring into it. So oh. visually the end is really, really good. So cool. I like how one of the first shots, uh, the first shot after the crab eater scene is also a glass of wine being poured into a cup and it evokes that, that blood dripping from the intro uh, sequence as well. Yeah, to bring yeah us that's back right. To that's it. right. <laughs> I was like, oh man, <laughs> they're drinking blood over there. <laughs> All right. So we'd move on to my number five. Absolutely. All right. Counting down and down this week, as opposed to last week, where I had just eight random points. <laughs> My number five this week is Viserys's indecisiveness, or maybe more accurately, his unwillingness to do what must be done under to in, you know in his efforts to preserve Jaehaerys's peace. So there are a few scenes throughout the show that kind of um, exemplify this indecisiveness, and the first of which is the small council meeting at the beginning when Corliss barges in and announces that four of his ships have been lost in the Stepstones, and it's it's grown into a conflagration over there, which is an awesome word that I used in the yeah, Corsaga recently. Um, like an eruption of fire and a raging inferno. And uh, basically... Viserys doesn't plan on taking the ty- type of decisive action that that Corliss wants to see. Uh, he's he's he says, "I don't want compensation. I want to seize the Stepstones by force and burn out this crab feeder." And Viserys is like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on here." And I'm I'm sending some envoys, <laughs> you know, like the weakest possible thing you could do. And uh, it it. it, it it's apparent to me that a major theme of this entire episode is the indecisiveness of Viserys as we move along. And uh, so he doesn't want to start a war, but what what Corliss is suggesting and what Rhaenyra suggests later wouldn't necessarily start a war. It'd be like kind of like an individual battle. It would just mean in, in, engaging in a in a in a minor battle to defend his bannermen, you know, who are being having their ships ransacked by these lawless pirates over in the free cities. Right. So it's, it's in the interest of Westeros to have those shipping lanes open, yeah, and not be constantly being harassed and the ships being you know taken, burned, looted, and losing all the crews. Right. Like you don't want to start a war, but they've already declared war effectively by closing the shipping lanes and doing this. So what are you going to do? Just put up with it? Viserys is just has a, a way of just letting everybody walk all over him because he doesn't want to start a fight. It's like he, he grew up during the reign of Jaehaerys in this prolonged period of peace. And his main goal is to preserve the peace, but it's at the cost of everything falling apart. You know, he grew up in this like luxurious bubble of peace that prevents him from seeing the reality, the nature of reality and how peace isn't commonplace and it's not normal. It's the exception rather than the rule. So he's sort of afflicted with this, this normalcy bias uh, that prevents him from taking the action or understanding the situation in the ways that he should as a king, unfortunately. You know, like, uh, what do they say? Hard times breed strong men. Strong men make, you know, good times, which is Jaehaerys. And then uh, good times breed weak men, and that's Viserys. And then weak men make hard times, and hard times make strong men again. And the cycle just begins and all over again, <laughs> you know. Yep. So uh, he says the pirates are not the free cities. And uh, someone 
mentions, well, who do you think provides them with their ships and tender? And this mm-hmm. reminded me of like a real life historical parallel where oftentimes pirates were funded kind of like on the side by European kings and queens <laughs> hundreds of years ago, privateers yeah. going around ransacking uh, ships and causing havoc on the high seas all at the at the the whim or behest of of the royalty which was kind of interesting in some cases at least <laughs> interestingly here someone mentions well what reason does the crab feeder have to fear us and in my head i'm thinking uh dragons you know <laughs> like that's a pretty exactly. good reason to fear us and uh viserys's action here in his inaction is just encouraging people to run roughshod all over them, including Damon. Uh, but, you know, and this whole time, Rhaenyra is listening to the conversation and uh, Corliss here is getting more and more bold as he's, uh, as he mentions Damon on Dragonstone, who's been there for six months. And uh, Otto has to shut him down a little bit here, telling him, I, I caution you, Lord Corliss, a seat at the king's table does not make you his equal. Mm-hmm. And uh, Corliss is getting more and more bold. He's powerful, and if he's not appeased, he'll end up taking action himself, as we see later. But it's an interesting statement by Sir Otto, as his seat at the table has made him bolder and bolder throughout the years as well, uh, considering his, his reign as hand began under Jaehaerys, the previous king, when uh, Jaehaerys' best friend, his BFF, and hand Septon Barth died. Serato took over and effectively began running the kingdom. Uh, on a related note, anything Septon Barth says seems to be good as gold. So if you ever hear anything about Septon Barth, take, uh, take heed and pay attention to what he's saying. But yeah, it, it seems again and again that Sir Otto is the one who seems to be really in charge here, as we'll uh, see later. And there may be a potential conspiracy going, along, going on with, between him and the maesters who... The citadel where the maesters train is at High Tower in Old Town, where High Tower is the seat of of uh, High Tower, <laughs> the High Tower House. So it could make sense that they're kind of colluding together uh, if they have similar goals. And uh, as as Viserys tells him, I have acted, Cor- Corliss. I've sent envoys to Pentos to see if we can find common cause. You can see the bandage on his pinky finger from his his wound that we saw six months ago in the previous episode where he pricked himself on the throne right at the end of yeah. the episode. And uh, this is another instance, his, uh, his wounded festering hand where his inaction um, and refusing to do what, what might be necessary uh, may have negative connotations or negative results. As we see with the scene with the maggots, uh, he's he's you know he's taking half actions. He's trying to have the maggots heal him, even though it's getting worse. And uh, may may amputation be a better solution? He doesn't want to amputate. Doesn't want to attack the crab feeder. He doesn't want to take Damon out from uh, from Dragonstone. All of this inaction and half measures seem to be uh, his style as a ruler, which <laughs> which is just not working out very well at all. What do you think about that? No, yeah, it uh, reminds me of uh, Mike Ehrmantraut from uh, Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah? He tells Walt, no more half measures. And really from that point, Walter White, you know, goes full Heisenberg. Nice. And <laughs> takes no prisoners, you know, from that point forward. So nice. sometimes those half measures, you know, just... Are really steps backward. 
yeah, they just, you kick the can down the road and you don't address the problem. Like, you know, in the scene where uh, Corliss and Rainey's are talking with Viserys about um, their daughter, um, Corliss says either sail straight into the storm, sail around the storm, yeah. but don't just sit there and wait for the storm to overtake you. Exactly. Be decisive. You know, fortune favors the bold. So you got to make the tough call sometimes and just go for it. Exactly. Be decisive. Just you you must never await it's coming. It's it's all he's doing is just sitting back and doing nothing. Corliss knows what's up. Corliss is a leader. Uh I like this character, Corliss. The more more things go on. And uh, it's during that next scene also with with Corliss and uh Rainey's talking about, you know, where they offer their daughter as his bride, where uh Viserys says, You must un- you must understand as king it's my obligation to avoid war and t- until such time it's unavoidable. And that's that whole uh normalcy bias thing that he's acquired by growing up under the reign of the peaceful period under Jaharis. Uh, but the nobody can be Jaharis. You know, that was like a unique, impossible standard to live up to where it's, it's just not gonna happen again. So he needs to change his tactics, but Sadly, he's he's unable to do so, it seems. Um, and so then we get the, the next scene uh, regarding his indecision is the scene with the maggots. And there's a gross transition that's fun, kind of funny. He's just sitting there eating dinner with Rhaenyra, and then it transitions from eating to a bowl of maggots. <laughs> which, yeah, it's zoomed in up yeah. close. The original show did that a lot with, uh, oh, remember when they were... When Sam is uh, picking all the grayscale off Jorah, how that transitions? Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I remember when he's like cleaning all of the bedpans and stuff during his training at the Yeah, Citadel. that was like a montage. Throwing I can't remember up. how that transitions, but <laughs> in, in one of the really grotesque portions where he's, you know, picking those huge grayscale scabs <laughs> off of um, Jorah, they, like he's, I mean, it's zoomed in like really, really gross and then it transitions and it goes straight to hot pie at the and aria at the end and somebody stabs into the crust <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of you know a pies. quail pie or um <laughs> pigeon pie or something like that and That's it's just great. like oh gosh so funny, i like to, i like those funny transitions like that <laughs> they i do too they're they're awesome so here the uh, the festering wound seems to is like symbolizing or similar to how the situation with Daemon uh, holding Dragonstone is uh, is festering. It's been six months. This is an issue. Whoever sits at Dragonstone has traditionally been the heir to the throne, the Prince of Dragonstone, as as right. they're known. So for Daemon to take the seat and to take the dragon egg that's previously been chosen for the heir, it's a symbolic gesture that all of Westeros understands as him staking his claim as heir which is, uh, you know, pretty intense. And uh, Viserys has to do something, but he's not doing anything. And uh, we get another scene, or another moment in the maggot scene where uh, they're talking about, he's he's talking about the Lady Lena, how Lena Valerian's been offered as his bride, and Otto says such matters should be discussed with the small council, kind of bossing around the king. You know, like, who are you right. going to tell that Who's- to the king? He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, who's the king and who's the hand? Yeah, exactly. The king shits, the hand wipes, uh, as they as they say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so that was kind of a bold moment for Otto. 
and we'll see more of that as things progress. Uh, they're they're talking about the ups and the pros and cons of um, marrying Lena Valerian, and they both kind of seem to agree that it's a good plan strategically for the king and his realm. But there's subtle dis- discouragement going on, as uh, Otto is telling him. You know, the I, l- I dearly loved my own lady wife, but the the pain of her passing still haunts me. And to be compelled to replace her for duty's sake. You're the king, but I don't envy you. You know, it's kind of like discouraging from from doing it at all at that point, it seems. Yep. And uh, then finally, Viserys makes a decision on his own. <laughs> and <laughs> But it's a bad decision. <laughs> a really bad one that sends, sends the realm into chaos. Were you going to say something? Yeah, you're talking about at the very end when he, when yeah. he picks Alice at Hightower. Yep. Yeah, that I mean it that that is I mean all of this is leading up to the dance but you know each and every step along the way is you know just getting us closer and closer to mayhem. So yep. you know if he had chosen, you know, little you know 12-year-old Lena or somebody else, you know, things may have happened differently and we can see Otto Hightower is extremely ambitious and trying to you know, he's pretty, you know, straightforward and audacious like Tywin, but he can also be sneaky and underhanded, like you were saying last week, like uh, Elena Tyrell or Littlefinger or Varys. So, mm, yeah. you know, he's definitely a very formidable— Littlefinger, uh, someone I did not mention, but you mentioned it now, and I want to highlight that because there's some aesthetic similarity between Otto Hightower and Littlefinger, and I'm getting—this week particularly, I was getting— Littlefinger vibes from Otto Hightower. So good call with that. Nice. Um, so yeah, he calls a meeting and he announces that he's made his decision and that he intends to marry. And Rhaenyra is looking at him, you know, giving him the go ahead, smiling like, yes, you can do this. Because they just had their like sweet little moment where they finally connected after being partially estranged for the past six months. And uh, the king looks at her and, and then he looks over at Alicent before he finishes saying the sentence, he kind of leaves everybody hanging. I intend to marry, dot, 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 you know, and a moment of silence. And Rhaenyra kind of looks at him like, what? And looks over at Alicent. And it's kind of in that moment that she realizes mm-hmm. that Alicent is even there. And she's like, oh my God, like, you're going to say Alicent. And Alicent, hilarious. <laughs> she looks more nervous than like you could even describe. Great acting on this part, mm-hmm. on her part here. She's like fidgeting and like <laughs> kind of bouncing back and forth and all flustered. And uh, I have a question here. Like I'm wondering, is is she actively playing the game? Like is she is her heart in it or is she just doing what her father tells her and she's way in over her head? And, uh, you know, because there's that scene where they're reading in the godswood and she's saying, oh, you're not worried about your position. And it, it made me think, oh, she's thinking in terms of the game. But I'm wondering now, is it her own ambition that has her thinking in terms of the game? Or is it just being around her father who's telling her, like, you know, we need to raise our, our house's status. Like, you got to do this. You got to do that. She's, like, obsessed with picking at her nails and everything. It seems to me like she's sort of being forced into this position and that she's out of her league and out of her depth. And she's just trying to keep it together at this whole moment or at this whole time. And at this moment, you know, um, is she nervous because her own ambition may be thwarted if, if the King makes the wrong decision and chooses Lena Valerian, or is she worried that she's going to get like the, the stick by her father if she fails him and his ambition to bring their, their family into the Royal line? 
What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, I think they're keeping it, you know, ambiguous on purpose. Um, yeah, some last week I was like, yeah, I think she's kind of excited to get off the bench and get into the game. Right. But a lot of the episode today, she seemed, you know, to be playing it pretty, you know, straight down the middle to where she's basically just daughter of the hand and doing what, you know, father tells me to do. Um, and even when she's getting him ready to uh, go into battle, you know, to go face down Damon, you know, you know, he says, you know, you're the most comely girl at court. You know, right. why do you sit here and destroy yourself? You know, just you know, picking at her fingernails and stuff. So, I mean, he's obviously been, you know, fairly demeaning and um, not oppressive to her, but you know, you know, not a very warm, you know, loving father. So, uh, mostly, I think she's just doing what she's told and not really trying to be involved that much. But seems like know, it. Really As, does absolute power corrupts absolutely, and especially now going forward, she realizes you know, that she could be queen and that she can, you know, oh, man. have all all the trappings that go with that, and all the luxury that goes with that, and all the power that goes with that. Uh -oh. um, as far as the running of the castle and all that. So she sees, you know, all the power she could have, you know, potentially as queen. I uh -oh, think man. going forward, she's definitely going to be playing the game more and more intentionally. Yeah, so we can almost certainly expect to see a transformation of her character and probably not into something good. Probably not into something good, but, you know, only time will tell, I guess. Right. I mean, she's the daughter of Otto Hightower, so... My, right. hopes aren't very, <laughs> right, right. my hopes aren't very high for her. Yeah. So Viserys finally fin finishes his sentence. <laughs> I will marry, I intend to marry the Lady Alicent Hightower before spring's end. And it's just like chaos kind of erupts in the room. Subtle chaos. Uh, it's, it's so funny. The one decision he actually makes on his own is a bad one. He goes with emotion over logic, failing to live up to the example set by Jaehaerys, who put a, aside his own emotion because he clearly wanted uh, his daughter Rhaenys to to be the heir, but he put aside emotion and did what was best for the realm. And <laughs> Viserys is just doing the exact opposite. It's funny because he wants so desperately to live up to Jaehaerys in terms of maintaining peace and everything like that, but he just doesn't understand the dynamics of the situation here, and he makes the wrong decision and does exactly the opposite of what his role model and father or uncle did. Um, you know, nine plus years before at this point. Uh, so Corliss is is extremely uh, frustrated by this. And he starts, you know, uh, railing away. And <laughs> we'll get more into that later. But with this decision, in one fell swoop, he angers his most powerful ally, Corliss, who's the richest mm -hmm. dude in the realm, pushes him towards Daemon, uh, and as as well, he pushes Rhaenyra away, who now feels betrayed and deceived by both her father and Alicent. Things may have been cool if they had just been open about the whole situation, but he had to tell her, you know, like, don't talk about this to, Ra to Rhaenyra. And uh, it, interestingly, it seems like she hadn't mentioned it over the six months that this has been going on. So she had already been keeping it a secret, which, um, you know, may say something about her character. Maybe not. But uh, <laughs> it's interesting stuff for sure. Yeah. So uh, right at the end of the scene here, Corliss is all mad. This is an absurdity. My house is Valyrian, the greatest power in the realm. And I'm thinking, wow, the greatest power in the realm? Are you elevating yourself above the crown for that statement? That's yeah, a and I, uh, I, wrote, I wrote that down as a note too. Um, 
I was like, oh, your ships and your money may be the uh, second greatest power in the realm. Yeah, compared to the, the dragons. Targaryens have dragons, and they have a lot of dragons. So yeah. check yourself. So funny, uh, Alt-Shift-X was talking about how, like, you know, the Game of Thrones is is going along, and there's the game, but as soon as a couple dragon riders show up, it's like all the all the other pieces become instantly irrelevant. Like they're not even playing, exactly. Which is what we exactly. see when <laughs> when Rhaenyra shows up at Dragonstone, which we'll talk about in a bit. But uh, Viserys is not happy about his about Corlys saying, "You are the greatest power in the realm." He says, "And I am your king." And right at this moment, you get the smuggest look ever from Otto Hightower, who's just. <laughs> glaring at at uh, Corliss like yeah bitch made motherfucker uh, definitely <laughs> which is hilarious and uh, Rhaenyra's very upset she looks at at Alicent who is not making eye contact with her and, until she forces Alicent to look and then she storms out of the room and Viserys calls out to her but she ignores him and leaves and it's uh, so unfortunate because they had just like rekindled their relationship and sort of made amends after six months and it's very bad timing. So that wraps up my number five. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., what is your number four, Lord Zach? All right. Uh, my number four is Rhaenyra. Uh, she was uh, pretty heavily featured this episode, you know, had a lot going on uh, with, um, and this is, you know, my number four includes everything except uh, her scene with Rhaenys, you know, which, you know, is uh, further down my list. Sounds good. Um, my number three is Rhaenyra as a leader as well. So we'll, uh, we'll, nice. we'll collab as we cover over all of her scenes. Absolutely. So at the very beginning, she... And the small council, you know, they're talking about, you know, what they should do. Corliss wants action. Viserys has, you know, said, oh, we have envoys, you know, going to Pentos. And uh, it's just, you know, basically two different, two very op- opposing or opposite courses of action. And Big Rhaenyra time. speaks up. She's she's the princess of Dragonstone. She's heir to the Iron Throne or heiress to the Iron Throne. Uh, she's like, father, we have dragon riders. Very cool that she first... Mentions it, you know, in Valyrian. Uh, oh, right. She says something in, in Valyrian. Or maybe that was when the... Oh, that was with the when egg. they came in to report about the egg. Because yep. those guys, those dragon keepers were talking in Valyrian. And she says something asking about the which egg did uh, did Damon take. In so this anyway, scene, however, it's interesting because Rhaenyra here in this part, I feel like is serving as a proxy for the viewers. Who are probably all screaming in their heads like I was. You have dragons, damn it. Send the dragons, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Exactly. The meta commentary is like, you have all these dragons, you know, you have dragon riders. I mean, 
I'm thinking worst case, if Viserys really wanted to, he could go tame another dragon, you know, an unclaimed one. Maybe. I mean, that's very would be very. How did he ever not, get Valerian? Not in his character. But I mean, if it was all out war and they had to launch, you know, launch the missiles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fire this fire. Fire the missiles. Um, you know, launch all dragon riders, you know, DEFCON 1. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They could. So they, she has that idea and it's just immediately shot down by Otto, shot down by Viserys. Like nobody wants to hear any of that. And I mean, she even says as a show of force, not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, go in there and, you know, burn them down. Yeah. You know, show a force, get them to stand down or leave the stepstones or there would be a, a diplomatic way to use the dragons yeah. before, oh, yeah. you know, the ultimate, the forceful way to use them. Right. So they just, but they just, they immediately just, just dismiss her and not only just to dismiss her idea of using the dragon riders as a potential solution in the stepstones, but they immediately dismiss her from the room. Right. And, oh, can we find a better use of the princess's talents? And, and it's Otto Viserys, doing it too. Exactly. Otto says that. And Puppet then Viserys, master. exactly. Viserys just says, oh, uh, yeah, uh, Lord, uh, Dang, Harold. what's his name? Harold Westerling. Uh, Viserys says, oh, Lord Harold Westerling, uh, why don't you... Uh, take Viserys to uh, go pick out a new king's guard, like you know, picking out a puppy or something. So right. That, that's how they treat. That's how they treat that task. So yeah, it's so lame. It's completely demeaning to her, big time. And that's like this is her big, her first moment in this episode where she shows an example of decisive leadership that would that's like worthy of uh, you know being a queen. Um, right at that moment when she makes that suggestion. Oh yeah, and Corliss. Corliss sticks up for Nera here though before they kick her out. He's like, at least the princess has a plan. You know, he, which a, a jab at the king. He's losing his patience with King Viserys. Definitely. Um, then later they have dinner, um, which did you notice the crickets in the background? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Highlighting the awkwardness. That first dinner with uh, Viserys and Rhaenyra, there's definitely like his dead quiet and they're just eating and not saying anything <laughs> at the beginning. There are literal crickets in the background. <laughs> It was really funny. They can't be on the as, ground uh, floor, though. That's hilarious that they're like, you know, like up right, in way tower. Way up in and... the tower. Some, somehow there's still a cricket that gets into the Red Keep. Um, but they get to talking and they start opening up to each other a little bit. And then she says, you know, about that small council today. And he just immediately, Viserys just cuts her off and says, oh, don't worry about it. Forget about it. And then she's, she tries to explain herself again. And he cuts her off again and says, "You're." Uh, I wrote it down. Um you're young. You'll learn. Like, right, right, right. And just she's trying to like say, you know, I was thinking of it using the dragons diplomatically or, you know, kind of explaining her thought process throughout the small council meeting. And he just shuts her off, cuts her off, um, you know, verbally in the conversation. And it's like, no wonder y'all have hardly spoken in the last six months. You know, she has an idea, immediately gets dismissed and then tries to explain herself later, you know, that night, presumably over dinner and you, you the same thing. Just don't worry about it. Forget about it. You're, you're too young. You'll learn the, how to run a kingdom later, you know? So right. it's, which ties into her, her conversation with Rainey's. And then she, you know, when she's talking to Damon uh, at Dragonstone, she says, or he says, you know, you were chosen, you were chosen to be heir. And she says, um, he says, he didn't choose me. 
he spurned Damon. Yeah. But, or maybe she was, I, tell, was, she was telling to, that to Otto or to somebody. Rainies. I can't remember. To her Aunt Rainey's. Yeah. So it's, it's, and there's like, there is an element of truth to that because that scene, you know, that happens between Viserys and Damon on the Iron Throne. I mean, Viserys is on the Iron Throne with Damon there, you know, in the throne room. And then right after that, we get Rhaenyra, you know, with her ceremony being named, you know, heiress to the Iron Throne. So, yep. I mean, she was chosen because she's the only heir, and he uses that as justification to be overly protective of her later in the episode. But, she, you know, she doesn't feel like she's been chosen to be the heir. <laughs> I love that uh, mug. That's awesome. So it's is really, really uh, interesting how last episode she gets all this pomp and circumstance and gets named, you know, heiress to the Iron Throne. But now she's still the cupbearer, still gets, you know, basically thrown out of small council meetings when she has a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and she's still, she's not being treated like Princess of Dragonstone. Yeah. And Viserys says, oh, you're, you'll learn. Well, when? You've already, he, he says, I'm sorry I've wasted all these years when I should have been considering you my heir. She should be at his side at all times, learning how to run the kingdom and learning about all of this stuff. I mean, she was there, but only in the, as a as a cupbearer, which like you said, is demeaning. Um, but it's ridiculous. If she's going to be the heir, he should be training her constantly. Exactly. So I wonder if that like signals some kind of, um, you know, hesitance on his part to actually go through with it. Right. More to come. Tune in for next week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you got on that? Uh, that's pretty much it. All right. Um, I got a couple more things to add. After uh, she's relegated to choosing a new Kingsguard, she, she, she's in there in the map room, which doesn't have a map yet, with uh, Sir Harold, the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, and with Sir Otto Hightower, Lord Otto Hightower. And uh, Princess Rainies is watching as they go, as the, all this is unfolding. But she's learning that these uh, these knights who are being on the short list for joining the Kingsguard, none of them have seen actual battle before. And so she uh, she does learn that Kristen Cole has seen battle and she makes a decision to bring him in to the Kingsguard immediately. Um, Otto is not, does not look happy. Even uh, before he's introduced, when... Um, Sir Harold is placing his little logo, his uh, statuette, on the position on the on the board. Which it's it's kind of cool how they have all these um, statues representing the different houses and stuff that they're using for this the processes. I like that detail. But as he places down the statue of um, uh, for um, Kristen Cole, Otto Hightower is not looking happy about it, <clears throat> and so. Rhaenyra, interestingly, is notably warmer towards Sir Criston than she is the other combatants. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she chooses him immediately. And when Otto rebuts her and says that, uh, you know, maybe this isn't the best idea. Seaguard, for instance, you know, their prime defense against Reavers, maybe another house might be a better choice. And she puts him in his place. Well, those men are tourney knights, and my father should be protected by a man who's known real combat. Should he not? <laughs> and he's like, of yep. course, princess. She, and, yeah. She's got a great point. Well, let us plan Sir Kristen's investiture then. And 
bitch made. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She, sh- she showed him. And I, mean, I guess that process, investiture, I love that word. Yeah. It's a cool yeah. word. But I guess that happens pretty quickly um, because, you know, just within a few scenes, um, he's, he's in with Otto and the delegation from King's Landing headed to Dragonstone yep. you know, with his armor and everything. So. Exactly. And that's where we next get Rhaenyra's, uh, well, so, so when hiring Kristen Cole, picking him for his combat experience, another decisive leadership move that she's showing that she can be decisive and using good logic. And then we get over to Dragonstone and <laughs> as after Caraxes appears, the blood worm and he's squealing with his, with his unique dragon sounds, we hear another dragon in the distance and the, 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 fog that's surrounding this this stone bridge starts to roil and undulate and it lifts up in a in a wave and the and Cyrax comes flying out from the fog and just like the coolest <laughs> entry ever and uh she lands him right on the bridge and approaches and Otto is is not happy about this also he might see this as a like a moment where he may have been able to get rid of Damon uh Finally, after all these years, he made sure the king wasn't coming, and now it's just him and Damon. And maybe he thought that there'd be um, there some way to take him out of the of the picture. But he's like, "What are you doing here, princess? Preventing bloodshed?" And uh, she he uh, she, he tries to intervene, but she basically uh, just ignores him. He tells Sir Kristen to escort her to safety, and she ignores it all. And just says. Take care not to startle Cyrax, my lords. She's rather protective of me. Subtle threat. And Otto backs down again. Bitch-made motherfucker! You know, she, she, she keeps bit, making him bitch-made all throughout this episode, which is hilarious. And uh, she has an interesting conversation with Daron, or, or Daemon in, um, in High Valyrian, discussing the circumstances and... We'd come to learn here that uh, <laughs> Masaria didn't know anything about his Damon's proclamation or his uh, <laughs> his claim that she was pregnant. And she storms off. We'll talk a little bit about that later. And Valer- Valerian, High Valerian, is a pretty beautiful sounding language, I will say. It sounds pretty yeah, classy. Very cool. And they have this showdown here, which is epic. She switches back to English and she's like, I'm right here, uncle. The object of your ire. The reason you are disinherited. It's like, if you want to be back in, as heir, you need to kill me, so do it. Be done with all this bother. And then he stares her down, and uh, I think he's impressed with her poise and initiative in this moment, realizing that, like, wow, she actually is a force to be contended with. Like, she's played this really well in terms of the, the game chessboard. And exactly. uh, he relents, backing down, Turning away and then turning back and kind of playfully tossing her the egg, and yeah, she, uh, uh, Damon, uh, Luke Skywalker's that egg. Uh, <laughs> remember when he just tosses it over the cliff? And it's like, what? What is yeah. going on? It's such a valuable and, uh, object. <laughs> whatever that is, episode seven or eight. Yeah, the Force anyway, Awakens. I was like when he just tossed it over his shoulder like that, I was like, oh, he just he Luke Skywalker that dragon's egg. <laughs> uh, my, yeah, my number two was coming on the clouds. Um, and Cyrax and Raydira's entrance there uh, oh, yeah. on that bridge at Dragonstone. And it's just, it was, you know, really neat. You know, it was basically the reverse of how Danny shows up to the Battle of the Gold Road or the Loot Train. 
what right. they, they, yeah, yeah, they yeah, call the it? loot train. Um, because the the Kalasar is all you know charging down the hill on horseback. Um, and then you hear um Drogon's you know roar, and then he just come appears out of the clouds, and then Jamie and Bronn and all the Lannister army is like, oh my goodness, what have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> so you know, basically, I, I wish you know, it, and it was cool. I love the way they did it. And you saw the clouds moving a little bit, and then a lot. So obviously, the dragon is getting closer and closer to the you know the surface of the clouds. But I wanted to see him appear out of the clouds. But they, the way they did it was more of a surprise effect for everybody on the bridge. And he's yeah. just whoosh, you know, does this extremely low pass over the uh, over the bridge, you know, circles so cool. around, and you see Caraxes sitting, you know, over on his side. Cyrax flies around uh, and this- comes around and lands behind, you know, Hightower and Co. And this is our first um, time seeing can, two dragons on opposite sides of basically potentially yeah. on, you know on opposite sides of a conflict really yeah cool. foreshadowing I would dare say mm. <laughs> uh, so interestingly you know they have this they're playing this game of chicken here Damon and Rhaenyra and Damon blinks first and he backs down and you can tell that you know deep down he he does love Rhaenyra and. Um, he seems to have this trait where as ambitious as he is, his love for his family ends up winning in the end uh, for the most part so far. <laughs> you know, backs down they didn't, here. They didn't really cover, you know, what hap- what's to become. They got the egg back, but what about Damon squatting on Dragonstone? The, the story <laughs> didn't really resolve that matter. Yeah, it seems like, Vis- you know, Viserys doesn't really care too much. Um. Rhaenyra is like, this is my castle you're squatting in, too. That was kind of funny. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. So the next um, moment of Rhaenyra being, you know, that's a, that's our next moment of Rhaenyra showing leadership. She shows up, prevents bloodshed, accomplishes the mission, and rides back to, to King's Landing on top of her dragon like a freaking hero, you know? <laughs> And uh, Viserys had no idea that she even left because somebody comes in and tells her, the princess has returned from Dragonstone. He's like, what? (laughs) What, what, what? (laughs) Yeah, you would think somebody would have said the princess has just departed for Dragonstone when she left to go to the dragon pit. Yeah, right. (laughs) And he's he's, uh, mad that she disobeyed him and everything. But really, you can tell he's like, you're my only heir. You could have been killed. He's just worried about her safety and kind of freaking out <laughs> and she's like he's like you went to dragonstone and he's like she's like and retrieved the egg without bloodshed a feat i'm not sure sir otto could have accomplished alone yep. boom she's making big moves and this is something that people of the kingdom will definitely hear of that will raise their opinions of her um and you know <laughs> like uh solidify their potential desire for her to remain the heir yeah, definitely. With all the gold cloaks uh, on Damon's side, you know, of that stone walkway, and all the uh, knights and you know household guards from uh, Otto Hightower's, you know, delegation of you know people. And oh, the did you notice? Um, Grand Maester Melos was with H- Hightower and the two Kingsguard knights Figures. at Dragonstone. Melos is right there behind him. Yeah, like, interesting. I wonder what's the maester uh, doing, and this is b- about to b- potentially become a skirmish, you know, or a battle. Well, this plays anyway. into my number four, which nice. Which uh, we'll get back to that that in a moment. 
interestingly, when she explains how she's accomplished what Otto probably would not have been able to without bloodshed, this kind of softens Viserys again, and he, ah, yes, well, sometimes I forget how alike you both were, and I'm thinking, who? But then he starts talking about her mother, and it's clear that mm-hmm. he sees uh, her, her mother in, in Rhaenyra at this point. And this is the moment where they finally start to connect again, and uh, Viserys is lamenting about his her mother's absence, being a wound that will never hear and, and heal, and how the Red Keep has lost a warmth that it'll never recover. And Rhaenyra is pleased about this, and to know that she's not alone in her grief. And this is uh, like a moment where they finally make amends with each other, and they both come to terms with the fact that he's got to make a new, he's got to marry a new wife, and that you know things are going to be changing a little bit. And uh, he tells her that he doesn't want us want to make them estranged and, and that he's, he needs a, a new um, wife to, to ensure that they're better defended against whoever may dare to challenge them. And she says, uh, you know, you're the, you're the king and you, your first duty is to the realm. Mother would have understood this just as I do. And it's like a sweet moment of understanding that's mm-hmm. fractured all too soon. You know, Rhaenyra approves of marriage, but not of his choice of Alicent or how they went about it secretly lying to her during the process, mm-hmm. which is kind of shady. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this brings us to my number four, which is a grand, a, a maester conspiracy. This nice. is something that doesn't necessarily happen in this episode, but it may be happening in this episode. There's a theory that the maesters have been plotting against the dragons and are a factor in their extinction, uh, leading, you know, after this point, Aegon shows up with Meraxes, um, Vagar, and Balerion, the Black Dread. And ever since that point, the dragons are getting smaller with each subsequent generation until, you know, the time of Duncan Egg, 100 years after this, when... The last dragon dies. And the explanation we get is that magic is waning and that the dragons live, are powered by magic. And when the magic dies, the dragons die as well. But people think that there may be a more sinister explanation going on here and that the maesters may be playing a role in doing something that's causing the dragons to not develop as well as they would have otherwise developed and grown. Um, so why was Maester Melos at Dragonstone for this? Maybe the Maesters have some kind of dragon deterrent that we're unaware of. Um, and it's, it's typical that Melos is with Sir Otto because Otto is Lord of the High Tower, which is an old town where the Citadel is. And it seems to me that they're conspiring with each other to manipulate Viserys to their own ends. And Otto could be in on the, the dragon conspiracy as well, as well theoretically. So um, it's an, <laughs> I wrote down, Otto and the Maesters are effectively the deep state of Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> Kings come and go, but the Maesters always remain in the background. Bureaucrats that are, hold their positions for life and pull the strings and work the mechanisms behind the scenes to their own yeah. benefits, potentially. And the, the Faith of the Seven, too, you know, they're also based in Old Town, 
and they're you know an entity that pre-existed Aegon and still exists you know through this story right. and into you know the the main story of Game of Thrones. Yeah. So and they, I mean, they the faith and Aegon you know had you know quite a few difficulties you know difficulties with one another <laughs> because the church was absolutely against you know brother you know being wed to sister. Right. Um, and now they're still doing you know cousins and you know uncles and nieces and stuff like that but the church like put down you know pretty you know drew a line in the sand for you know brothers being wed to sisters which was Aegon and his two sister wives yeah that was a big um, deal but they eventually you know basically came to some type of agreement to but the to where Aegon was c- crowned and anointed there's an there's a, another phrase another I phrase for uh, I'm pretty sure it's anointed <laughs> you know coronated but with the blessing of the church right right um, right so it's you know those those entities you know uh, Westerosi bureaucracy um, they you know definitely have their own agenda sometimes yeah and the way you mentioned the the faith the septons um, we got here Otto Hightower and Maester Melos kind of like potentially working behind the scenes with each other. And we had Lord Tywin and Pycelle, who were like buddy-buddy and, always, yeah, you know, working, and together. working together too. So it always seems like <laughs> these bureaucrats will team up with some strong house to go against the leaders that, that are doing things they don't like, um, which is pretty interesting. I have to wonder if the maesters um, – have a thing against Targaryens in general. They could be poisoning Viserys, you know, how his wounds are not healing, how he mm-hmm. pricks himself on the throne, which should be a nothing, like nothing. And is, he's at risk of losing his finger now. Are they poisoning the dragons? Are they poisoning the Targaryens? Um, even, we get in this episode how even Viserys, the dragon rider of Balerion, Balerion scares him. You know, he says, there are times where I'd rather face Balerion the Black Dread than my own 15-year-old daughter. So Viserys is scared of Balerion. And we, adding to that last episode, he said, it's an illusion, a myth that we control the dragons. We don't. And so if even the dragon riders are scared of the dragons that they're riding, imagine how scared the maesters must be. You know, like we talked about, there's a chessboard going on here and all these factions are vying for power. But as soon as the dragons show up with dragon riders, it's like none of the pieces even, none of the other pieces even count. So just a mere existence of dragons is a danger to the, to the, the power of, of the maesters and their, their system that they've honed and developed and built over all these countless years. So is there a conspiracy to kill the dragons? Are they poisoning Viserys and making his wounds worse? Did Balerion die of natural causes? You know, I you, you have to wonder. I'm hoping that we learn more about this. I'm wondering if this show may be partially about the maesters trifling to bring down the house of Targaryen and to make sure as many of their dragons are dead as possible. By the end, they could be pulling the strings to create conflict among the Targaryens um, in, you know, in the hopes that dragons will fight dragon and dragons will fall. You know, it's, uh, it's possible. Um, so we get some playing into this a little bit. We get some details about Viserys's model of old Valyria. And we're, he's talking about 
the Valyrian capital will be capital being built in a volcano, much like Dragonstone. But they they claim that they're getting their magic and their power from the the volcano, which is an interesting little tidbit of information that we that we're getting. And he names the building that Dragonstone is seemingly modeled after as the Anagrion, which is an interesting name, where the blood mages mm-hmm. worked their craft. So there was a, a TV show in development years ago at this point about the doom of Valyria. And I guess George R. 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 Martin, George R. 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 Martin and co. had been developing lore for this about old Valyria. And when it was scrapped, they didn't have any opportunities to employ all that lore that they had been designing for the whole time. So I'm wondering here if this are just throwaway information that they didn't get to use in the Doom of Valyria series, or if the the blood magic and all of this stuff is hints at something that's going on. Maybe the maybe the Maesters, you know, when they forge their Valyrian steel uh, chain link, that means that they've mastered, you know, certain aspects of dark magic and stuff. So... Could they be using some kind of dark magic to affect the dragons, which eventually results in their extinction? Um, interestingly, possible. yeah, it's possible, right? Um, interestingly, the mention of the the volcano I found um, intriguing because we learned from Jacques and Hagar that this is where the faceless men originated as slaves working in the mines under the volcano who are desperate to escape the horrors of the monsters and chimeric creatures running rampant that were created by the Valyrian lords using their blood magic. I wonder if that'll end up being relevant to the story too. Anybody could be a faceless man. We don't know. They could be, Otto Hightower could be a faceless man. Melos could be a faceless man. Anybody could be, could be one. So we have to keep that in the back of our minds a little bit. Um, real life historical parallel. Valyria seems to be a parallel for Atlantis. Both were brought to their destruction by their own technology and actions. Viserys says here that, you know, you know, Alicent is with him and she compliments his his model and it's truly wondrous what you've built. And he's like, oh no, I only pour over the histories and provide the plans. The stonemasons built the structures. But Viserys should not be a king. He's, he's like a, a historian. He spends more time focusing on his models than he does running King's Landing, let alone the rest of the Seven Kingdoms. Um, you know, he, we learned from him that Valyria had over a thousand dragons and a navy large enough to span the seas of the world. And I thought that was an interesting detail. But these mentions of blood magic and all of this stuff makes me wonder if there's something more going on with the maesters and, and uh, a conspiracy to kill the dragons. <laughs> it sounds like it's out of left field, but you know, maybe we'll learn hey, something about it. I like that. it. I like it. <laughs> nice. So what about your uh number three? All right. Uh, my number three is made from the same cloth. Uh oh, all right. Damon, uh Damon and Corliss, uh, you know, the closing scene of the episode. Uh you it opens and you're not sure where you're at, but then you you see that da- uh that Corliss Valerion is talking and within maybe five or ten seconds. You know, they do kind of a slow pan. I'm like, oh, he's talking to Damon. Uh, um, yeah, he's got to be. And I was able to guess that, you know, because, you know, I've read Fire and Blood. So, you know, I remember the high points of what happens going forward in the future. And basically, I don't want to give anything away, but so, but I was like, but it just made sense that <laughs> Corlett, you know, get, you know, pull up a map of, of Westeros, but Driftmark, you know, is off 
the eastern coast of Westeros, um, not too far south or north from Dragonstone, I don't think. Hmm. Um, so not too far from the Stepstones. Um, so I, it was just like, you know, Damon is at Dragonstone. Corliss is at Driftmark. So it's, I mean, it's obviously very easy. And and Damon has a dragon that he can just fly. Without anybody knowing. Um, so I was, I, I right away... Before they showed Damon, I realized that that he, that's who he was talking to. Um, Makes sense. And I mean, Corliss isn't actually a second son, but he brings up that phrase. You know, we're second sons. Uh, a Damon obviously is because you know Viserys is the eldest and he's king, but Damon is the next uh, you know son um, from their father. So you know, if if Viserys never had any heirs, then the the throne would go to Damon. So that's where he feels, you know, he's still, you know, the rightful heir because Rhaenyra, you know, is female and all that. But that was a really interesting conversation that they had. Um, Tyrion was a second son. You know, True. obviously and Jamie and Cersei, <clears throat> Jamie and Cersei, you know, were, were twins and, you know, born at the same time. So Tyrion was a second son, but still able Jon to. Jon Snow, uh, second son. Basically, I mean, kind of. the first son of, of Rhaegar and Lyanna. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Um, but spoiler alert. I mean, he, you know, basically Rob was the oldest and I think age wise, yeah, John was the next son, you know, in the household, but obviously not a natural born start. Um, right. I'm trying to, is Bran? Is Rickon and. Yeah, Bran's older than Rickon. So, um, so I'm just trying to think of second other son. second sons we, uh, we've, you know, Sandor come across Clegane, in the series. Um, the Hound. So, and then there's, I don't think the second son's uh, sellsword company comes up in the show, but in the books, there's several different. Uh, the Golden Company is the main, uh, the biggest and most uh, wealthy and well-known sellsword company uh, in the East. But second oh, yeah. Sons is another one, and um, Tyrion and Jorah, you know, end up in their company for a while in the books. Um, and with you know, they end up serving Danny, you know, in Yunkai and Marine. Sort of symbolically, but, the firstborn sons end up be, being the lords and the kings, and the, the second sons have to go out and forge names for themselves in a different way, whether by fighting wars or you know doing what <laughs> doing whatever they're yeah, going to do. Doing these you know all these voyages that Corliss has done, and so even though yeah. Corliss is the Lord of Driftmark, Master of the Tides, you know, Master of Ships. Um, he was, you know, in reality, he's firstborn, but he's trying to identify with Damon as this, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, piece together and, you know, cut, uh, he says, you know, they have to, they cut their way through the world. You know, nothing yeah. is given to them and has to be made or taken. I know, think he earned. sees the Valerians as a whole as sort of the second sons of the surviving Valerians. Because like yeah, you that's mentioned, true. they were never yeah, dragon absolutely. riders. They've always kind of been overshadowed. They they arrived to Westeros first, but as soon as the Targaryens showed up, they were overshadowed by their prowess and their dragons and everything. So from his perspective as a Valerian, they're kind of playing second fiddle to the Targs in terms of the only surviving Valeri uh, Valerians. So it and, and and it makes sense from a political and you know a maneuvering standpoint for Corliss to enlist the help of Damon in dealing with his problem. He basically sees this as his problem, not yeah. Westeros's problem, because the king doesn't want to address the problem. So yep. Corliss says, "Okay, it's my problem to solve. Why not?" You know, obviously the king doesn't want to do 
what needs to be done, you know, to make the tough, tough decision. He wants to send envoys and play it slow. I'll go to Damon, who we know can be brutal and rash and cool, uh, very, very cruel and hardcore. So why I not? Said, I said employ? cool, not cruel, just for the record. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so why not employ him to potentially, you know, either team up or just, you know, give Damon a big pat on the back and send him and his dragon down to the Stepstones to, you know, just take care of business all by himself. You know, we'll see what happens. I'm not watching the upcoming uh, coming up next week. Yeah, I didn't watch um, it this week. Either. Every week, I'm watching the the inside the episode where they're talking about what happened. Oh, cool. But I skip over the, you know, here's what's coming on next week's episode. Right, right. Um, I heard some podcasts are talking about how they were surprised how much they showed. I'm like, oh, well, glad I didn't watch it. Yeah. I, don't, I like to each episode to be, an, I mean, I'll watch a trailer before the whole season comes out. Yes. Week to week, I don't want to see, you know, what's going to happen next week. Yeah, same here. I'm not a big fan of that. I never watched next week on in Game of Thrones. Um, That's pretty I, much what I had for number three. All right. Sounds good. So let's see. My number two is the Rogue Prince, Daemon himself. Uh, and the Rogue Prince is a title of one of the Game of Thrones short stories, I believe, which must be about Daemon probably taking over Dragonstone. Although I can't remember what the details are. It's been forever since I listened to it in audiobook format. But yeah, Damon is, he's freaking hilarious. Uh, he's out here <laughs> making proclamations to the kingdom about Missaria marrying him or that they're going to be married and how she's pregnant. But, but we learned she doesn't even know about it. <laughs> and he's like, it's just hilarious. He's lying and just like, all, everything that he's doing here, it seems to be a, um, like, just he's just desperate for the attention of Viserys. You know, he's just craving his attention and approval, and and he just he's he's it's it's hilarious. But uh, yeah, the fact how apparently um, in the in the books that we have available uh, that George R. R. Martin had written from the perspective of Maesters and everything, the uh, accepted history is that Missaria was pregnant. But this seems to be an example of a place where the Maesters got history wrong. Which makes sense mm -hmm. because the public proclamation by Damon was, oh, she's pregnant, you know, and everything. But in reality, it was a lie. And so history, you can't always trust the history books, apparently. You know, this is a lesson that, that we need to learn. We can't, history, his story, written by the victors. And so uh, I wonder if we'll see more instances of this throughout the show where we discover that real events differ from the accounts in historical records written by maesters but uh yeah we 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 get some psychological insight to damon here which is like i mentioned earlier as much as he's driven by his own ambitions he has a strong love of his family and like you mentioned at um it with corliss in the last scene of the episode corliss starts to talk down about king viserys and damon cuts him off he's like uh-uh-uh like I will say whatever I want about my brother, oh, but yeah. you will not. You know, so he's at odds with, with Viserys, but he's still defending him and defending the Targaryen's place at the top of the totem pole. It's like, um, reminded me of how, like, uh, the, the, there'll be, like, multiple families of the mafia. Like, you got the Gambinos and the Genoveses, but as soon as somebody comes to threaten their craps game, they'll team up together. Um, you know, they'll be competing against each other for for the top dogs of the mafia position. 
But as soon as somebody threatens their profits, they'll team up and work together to eliminate the threat. And so that seems to be like a kind of thing uh, going on here a little bit with Damon where he's like, I'm mad at the king, but you don't get to talk shit about him. Only I can do that. <laughs> You're still just the nice. just the sea snake, which is a really cool nickname, by the way. I like that. Um, so yeah, Dragonstone is, is uh, clearly designed after that Valyrian building we mentioned before. Um, when... Sir Crispin shows up, or Crispin, that's what what he calls him. Kristen Cole shows up and he calls him Crispin. Just kind of like how Jamie was mispronouncing Dickon Tarly's name. Yeah. You know, in season seven or something like that. Pretty funny. And uh, he's like, oh, Kristen, my prince. My, yes, my apologies. I I couldn't recall. And, uh, Kristen zings one back at him. Perhaps my prince recalls when I knocked him off his horse. I was like, oh, got you got him. Yeah, I got him. Uh, so that was pretty funny. And uh, we, we get to learn that Miss Arya is not actually pregnant and that she can't have kids. And we get a little bit of backstory on her in the next scene where all this is revealed. And we, we learn... Uh, that she's kind of got a similar backstory to Missan, uh, to um, Melisandre, and not an unsimilar name as well. Melisandre, Mysaria, mm-hmm. they've both kind of been owned forever. Uh, I'm not saying that Mysaria is Melisandre in secret, but that would be pretty funny. Um, <laughs> you know, she can take different forms. <laughs> yeah, but back to the bridge over there. Yeah, exactly. She could be anybody. She's practically a faceless man with that. That yeah, Masaria had the, one of those you know, hexagonal necklaces. Yeah, is she like, wearing nope. the necklace? Like a <laughs> rewatch for that. But uh, when they're back on the bridge and they're facing off, and it's Otto squaring off with Damon, and he's uh, like, Otto's like, "Are you mad? You'd never survive this uh, this throwdown." And Damon's like, "Well, happily, neither would you, because I got the dragon." Um, exactly. Yeah, and, I wrote that as a note. You know, mutual issue destruction. Yeah, you know, yeah, that, definitely. You know, Otto's like, you know, Otto hates Damon. Damon hates him just as much just or more. As much. And so Otto's like, you never survive this. Well, that's fine. Neither will you, Neither baby. Neither will you, baby. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, to choose violence here is to declare war against your king. And Damon's like, wonderful. <laughs> Bust out the sword. And I'm like, dude, this guy is crazy. Like, he's oh, so, he, he's the Charlie Day. Of uh, you know, Ollie's Sunny of this, he's the wild card. Yeah, <laughs> and Caraxes, interestingly, has some unique dragon sounds that we haven't heard before. People have been saying, yeah, "Very cool." Yeah, in Game of Thrones, all the dragons kind of looked alike. You can hardly tell them apart except for their colors, and even that was not easiest to tell. And they all sa- made the same sounds, but we're getting some variations here. And you know, he's long and skinny like a worm. He's got the two little winglets in the back, like you mentioned last week. I'm looking forward to seeing what the other dragons look like because it seems like they're making an effort to make them each unique at this point. Yeah, definitely. I want, I want to see what they look like going forward. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. So that's when Rhaenyra shows up and then we skip ahead and we learn that Masaria had no idea about any of this and she's all mad. And uh, she's, she says like, you know, I didn't come to you and in, into your service wanting gold or power or station uh, I came to be to be liberated, and he's like, "Liberated from what? From fear." 
you know. And, yeah, that was a powerful line. I wrote that down as well. Yeah, that was pretty badass. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, I think fear is going <laughs> to come back. <laughs> remember remember what uh, what Sirio taught Arya about fear? What did he tell her? A fear cuts deeper than swords. Ah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice, good, good so, throwback. I mean, that's dude. you know, and a lot. Everybody in this story, they're they're scared of losing power. They're scared of you know losing their place in the line of succession. Um, Rhaenyra with future heirs, Damon with Rhaenyra, Alicent um, just being constantly named heir. Yeah, Alicent just falling into this place, about to be become queen. You know what's she gonna do going forward to make sure that her and her people. Uh, don't lose their spot, you know, uh, as it relates to the Iron Throne. So uh, definitely some, so there's a lot, you know, people, fear is a very big motivator and, yeah. you know, fear cuts deeper than swords. You look outside and Artists. you see a bunny running around and the bunny is terrified or a bird. They land on a branch and they're looking around them in all directions for predators. People don't understand that right now as humans, we're living not unlike Viserys in this bubble of luxury and safety and peace, relative peace. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, that's not the, that's not the way nature works. We've built this artificial structure for ourselves and we better, you know, preserve it because otherwise fear will make a big comeback with us as well. And, uh, yep, 100%. that's why human psychology has been so different in history because they were driven largely by fear and maintaining, you know, trying to just trying to survive in very difficult circumstances. Yep. Okay. We were at the accent. You wanted to talk about the accent, right? Yeah, overall, I um, at the beginning of the scene, you know, it, her accent, you know, seemed to be okay. And I've heard that this actress, I'm unfamiliar with her, but I've heard that she's been good uh, in other projects. Um, I think mostly other TV series. I don't know if she's been in any, you know, movies or anything. But I've heard that she's, you know, most people like her and she's a pretty good actress. So I don't think it's an acting problem. But the accent just seems super... Like, I mean, it's sort of French, but it's sort of not. And <laughs> yeah. I, I can't really place it. And it just as, like I said at the beginning, it it didn't seem that bad to me. But as the scene wore on, um, it it just got to me. It just seemed worse and worse. And it just seemed real clunky with her trying to, you know, say her lines with that accent. And then, you know, respond in a genuine way and have Matt Smith, you know, as Damon you know, interact with her. I, I just, I don't know. I just didn't really, I wasn't really feeling that, that accent. They tried to get her to do, just do a normal French accent. It was just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It was, <laughs> it took me out of it for a moment too. I was kind of like, uh, what, what's going on here, you know? And I didn't really notice it that much that last week. She didn't have very many lines. So I guess, you know, it was sort of, you know, that same thing with the beginning. It didn't seem too bad, but yeah, when she became more and more passionate about, you know, her, you know, being bought and sold, you know, countless times and being, you know, she wanted to be liberated from fear, you know, but that was a really good line. And I wanted it to, to hit home, you know, with me, you know, as an audience, but, you know, and it did, it's not that it was bad, but, you know, that's, you know, one of my two gripes, one of my two gripes of the episode. What was your other gripe? My other gripe was the King's Guards Magneto helmet. Oh, I was gonna say that was <laughs> I liked that. That was something that I thought that was cool. Uh, yeah, I just they it just looks I mean it has a cool look to it, but it just looks incomplete. Uh, I went back and looked. Oh, it's Loki. 
Um, <laughs> Our I, um, everybody, you got to go watch the YouTube video version because Loki is perched on uh, Sir Duncan's uh, shoulder and just sitting there hanging out. Our dragon anyway, mascot. It's like they're, the, the helmets that Barristan Selmy and Jamie had at the beginning of the series, they had that similar shape, but they had these little like little uh, fins kind of across the top that just gave it a little bit more complete look. I just, all I can see with these Kingsguard is just a boom, just the helmet and nothing more. And just that shape. And it kind of comes to a point. It's straight up Magneto. Yeah. It's Magneto uh, out of X-Men. <laughs> see, I saw it and I was like, Oh, it looks like Magneto. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's cool for Magneto, but they just took me out of it for a second. Right. This is Westeros and this is what their helmets look like. You know, uh, whatever, uh, hundred years after Aegon's conquest, but Hey, I mean, they, they went for it and a lot of people probably do like it, but I just, <laughs> I just couldn't get that. couldn't get the Magneto helmet out of my mind. That's so funny. Yeah. Magneto. What a crazy nice. guy. That's all I had for that. All right. So now I think we're on to number one. What is your number one, Lord Zach? Uh, my number one is, uh, I call it the order of things. Ooh. Um, Basically, Rhaenys and Rhaenyra's conversation there um, in King's Landing. Uh, Rhaenyra is, is sees what's happening with her her dad awkwardly and clumsily and cringily uh, having a first date of sorts, walking along, <laughs> walking along the path with a twelve year old, um, oh and she's saying God. all the lines that her dad was supposed to say and. Um, you know, then the King's like, what did your mom say? It's like, oh, uh, I have, you know, two more years before, you know, we have to go to bed. It's like, oh, come on. And that little girl in the wig and everything. It's just like, but Rhaenyra is looking at, at all that and obviously is perturbed by it, you know, at the very least. Um, but it was just this really cool interaction between Rainey's, who's basically been through this whole scenario, Ray, more or less raised as you know, the eldest daughter of the eldest son um, of King Jaehaerys, then he dies some which way or another, and then she's left, you know, presumably being being the heir of the eldest son, and she's been through all this, and um, just and it's one of the lines that sort of that was in the trailer that basically framed what the show was going to be about, and she says, "Men would sooner put the realm to the torch." And see a woman ascend the Iron Throne, um, and that's just the, in a nutshell. That is the Dance of the Dragons. Yeah. Um, in a nutshell. Help! I'm in a nutshell. How did I get into this nutshell? And she, you know, they she she thinks that Rhaenyra is, or I'm sorry, Rhaenyra thinks Rhaenys is trying to you know get an emotional response from her. But I don't. You know, we I think we talked about it last week that. Is Rainey's jealous or is she happy for Rhaenyra, you know, being named um, heir to the Iron Throne? And I was like, I, th- I mean, I think, I mean, she's probably has some regret that it wasn't her. But ultimately, this is potentially the male wheel of Westeros being broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know, feel like she, she sympathizes with her on a number of levels. Exactly. She definitely does sympathize with her. But she's also old enough and wise enough to know what has been promised may not be fulfilled. Yeah, totally. The game is everlasting. And, it will be you know, and, and the way, she, you know, Danny talked about, you know, the wheel and she just, she talks about the order of things. Um, something kind of toward the end of their conversation. Um, 
after she says, you know, they'd rather put the rim to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. And Rainey says, and your father is no fool. Um, right. I'm I'm thinking, like, at first, the first watch, I wasn't really sure how to take that line. I'm like, we know he's not a fool. He may not be the most decisive, you know, the best king. But, but he's not Mushroom. Right. He's not a fool either. But on the rewatch, I'm, I'm sort of thinking that what she meant by that was, Viserys is no fool, and so he also knows that many, many men would rather put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. So, Viserys, since Viserys is no fool, he's going to look for a way to remedy Rhaenyra being the heir, a girl, a female being the heir to the Iron Throne. What do you think about that? You know, he's no fool. Yeah, I, I pretty much uh, thought the same thing, that, you know, when it comes down to it, if he has to pick between a legitimate male heir who's directly of his own blood and Rhaenyra that, you know, he might do the same thing that Jaehaerys ended up doing. And I think um, Rhaenys is worried about that and she's kind of prepping Rhaenyra for that potential eventuality. Say that 10 times fast. Potential eventuality, potential eventuality, potential eventuality, yeah, exactly. potential eventuality. And, you know, uh, Rhaenyra is young and, you know, very idealistic. And she's a well, when I'm queen, I'll make a new order. And that sounded very Daenerys-like. Yeah, exactly. That was that was a very, you know, Daenerys Targaryen. When I become queen, you know, I'll break the wheel. When I become queen, you know, I'll liberate, you know, the people of Slaver's Bay. You know, and she did that. Um but then, you know, what she did to King's Landing, and then she said, oh, I'll liberate Winterfell, we'll liberate Dorne, and everywhere in between. And we'll liberate like, Afghanistan, we'll liberate Iraq. Liberate, <laughs> yeah, liberate like you just liberated the people of King's Landing? That's <laughs> a whole lot of burning. The sweet release of death, I don't think that's liberation <laughs> we're talking about. Right. So, you know, it, you know, the, but that's, you know, Rhaenyra's young, you know, ambitious goal. Well, when I'm queen, I'll change how things are done around here. But you know, obviously that's, you know, a very difficult task to accomplish. Yep. As Viserys would say, you'll long, you're young, you'll learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know. Anything else you want to add about your number one? No, that's it. All right. My number one is escalations in the game in general. And uh, the first scene we have with escalations is with Alicent meeting with Viserys again. And they're uh, examining his model of Valyria. And she makes a move here. They're talking about how they end up talking about how um, he has to pick a new wife and everything. And she kind of is wondering who it, it might be. And uh, he, he drops the dragon statuette and she picks it up. And for a moment, they sort of are... They reach and they're like, he's holding her hands for a, a split second after dropping mm -hmm. the statue. And they both kind of seem like <laughs> caught off guard, like surprised by this like organic moment of intimacy. That yeah, connection. Yeah, they had like a, a little bit of a connection there. And she's being slick about this, like, uh, like saying, well, whoever it is, I know she'll be kind. Or talking about Lena. Uh, Lena Valerian. I know that I'm sure that she's good and kind, and I'm sure that she'll enjoy your 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 com uh, company as much as I have. You know, hinting like that. Yeah, she wants to be in on the on the the race as well. So he uh, he ends up asking Alicent to keep their chats secret and not to mention them to Rain Rhaenyra, and that was interesting. 
And we learn later that she hadn't told Rhaenyra anyway. It's already been six months. Right, that they've been doing this. Yeah, so she didn't tell Rhaenyra during that whole time, uh, which is kind of interesting. It's like that sort of leans toward the idea that Alicent is, you know, willingly engaging in the game, choosing to True. keep Rhaenyra out of it, knowing that she's yep. angling in on Rhaenyra's heirhood or, or her line and place in the line of succession. Mm-hmm. And she's angling and angling and not telling Rhaenyra. So that was interesting. And after this meeting where he tells her to keep it a secret, we it cuts to Rhaenyra hanging with Alicent in a sept that we haven't seen before, but it's huge and glorious. Pretty impressive structure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're talking, she's talking about how her, it's already been half, only been half a year and they're already trying to marry off her father. And uh, she knows what they're talking about, how they're plotting in their secret councils when she's been sent away and she's worried for her position. And instead of, like, telling her the truth, saying that, yeah, like, I've, I've been talking with your dad too and stuff, she she just blows it off, tells me, oh, you can't worry about the matters of lords and kings. Um, so now Rhaenyra is showing concern about her position opposite of the first scene in the Godswood, and Alicent here is keeping her in the dark. So I would say that it must be a difficult position for her. You know, do I obey the king and not tell Rhaenyra, or do I be loyal to my best friend and tell Rhaenyra? But as we find out later, in the six months that have passed, she hasn't mentioned it at all, that she's been Mm -hmm. chilling with her dad. (laughs) So that's kind of crazy. She asks, what if your father were to remarry? And I think at this point, she's uh, gauging Rhaenyra's potential reaction to finding out that she's been courting her father which is pretty intense. And this is, um, oh, this is when she mentions that he didn't choose me, he spurned Damon. I thought that was with uh, Rainey's, but it was with Alicent in this scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we see Rainey's, or sorry, Rhaenyra go to pray, being instructed by Alicent. And this is interesting because Targaryens don't necessarily have a good relationship with the faith of the Seven, as we talked about earlier. They tend to consider themselves more as gods, which uh, right. Rhaenyra mentioned in the last episode that people see Targaryens as closer to God than humans, but it's only really the dragons that do that. Without them, we're just regular people, uh, which we find out is true, as Daenerys' brother Viserys is definitely not a god. <laughs> not a god. <laughs> and, um, can't stand up on his own without dragons. So this is an emotional moment for Rhaenyra as she begins to pray and is like on the verge of tears uh, as she tries to connect with her mother the way that Alicent does. And uh, she says, I want him to see me as more than his little girl. And it's at this moment where we see that she really feels the need to prove herself, which she begins to do in this episode, especially by regaining Dreamfire's egg from Dragonstone and from from Prince Daemon, which is <laughs> pretty badass. So then we have the awkward child bride scene, you know, where Corliss and Rainey's are complaining about all the bad stuff that's going on, you know, uh, uh, painting <laughs> Viserys' rule as really excellent with all the horrible things that are going on today. And uh, they offer a solution, which is to join our families and wed our daughter Lena and (laughs) unite the two great surviving houses. And uh, it seems like a good idea. So it's at this moment, basically, when Corliss enters the game 
and is really trying to position himself and his family is uh, in within the line of kingship. So that was pretty pretty cool to see Corliss stepping up. The realm expects you to take a new wife soon or late, your grace, to strengthen your line and produce more heirs, which is basically exactly what Rhaenyra says to Rhaenys later on. Then we have yeah, exactly, and Cor- Corliss's tone, your grace, uh, you know, you know, do this, do this. Thank you for taking this meeting, your grace. He was all prim and proper with all the customs and courtesies when he was trying to, you know, seal, you know, an alliance, you know, with the marriage. Yep. But when he storms into the small council, you know, Damon's, you know, taking the egg. What are we going to do? You know, you need to respond in force. You need to take the step stones by force. You know, he pulls no punches and he comes right into the small council uh, chambers, just, you know, firing on all cylinders. But now he's, you know, pulled it all back and he apologizes for being, you know, so rude uh, before and, you know, how abrasive he was being in the meeting. But now he's, you know, minding his P's and Q's. Yeah, definitely some attitude changes throughout this episode with with Corliss. (laughs) He's he's on a journey to find out what he's got to be doing to preserve his house, that's for sure. And then we get the, uh, the creepy scene walking through the garden. And this is this harkens back to Game of Thrones and all the countless scenes we got of scheming within <laughs> within there, and it reminds me of Cartman in the South Park, uh, a Song of Ass and Fire trilogy. <laughs> it's like a Game of Thrones and video game console wars spoof trilogy. Pretty badass, and we find out that young Lena here is kind of obsessed with dragons. You know, she's got dragons on the brain, like Schlotsky's. You ever see those commercials? Got Schlotsky's on the brain. <laughs> That's what that made me think of for some reason. (laughs) So she's asking about Balerion and what it was like to fly the Black Dread. And then she brings up Vagar, who's still alive Mm -hmm. somewhere. Vagar is one of the original three dragons. Balerion, Meraxes, who Aegon's sister wife Rhaenys rode, and Vagar, Visenya's dragon, who's still out there, but is too large for the dragon pit. (laughs) Some would say too large for our world. That's got to be an epic, epic size. Man, I really like. So, one thing I don't remember from the books is if and when, or yes or no, if Vagar shows back up and somebody, you know, you know, puts her, they call her her. I mean, a lot of in the books, I think they say, you know, officially, um, dragons are unisex or whatever. Right. Yeah. They kind of like bounce back and forth, gender fluid, we could say. (laughs) Anyway, uh, they can all have eggs or not. So um, it's pretty interesting that, you know, they they refer to her that way. But I really want to see if Vagar shows back up and who gets there. Is he on the, the blacks or the green side of the dance and what happens? Because, I you know, that's one of those details I, I don't remember. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's going to be cool. And it's interesting that <laughs> little Lena is like, she's here supposed to be talking about marriage and everything but all she could think about is dragons <laughs> which is which is funny yeah exactly one you know kind of poignant line that Viserys had was um when they were talking about Vagar, he says even dragons get lonely yeah Basically, that's what i was gonna say it's talking so about sad. i don't know how to that is talking about himself right oh yeah you know being you know six months removed you know from the death of his wife but i mean also i mean the, the dragon itself out there just living somewhere on the coast 
you know, fending for itself. Yeah, the workers at Spice Town report hearing her songs at times. They say it's a yeah, sad thing. I can't thing. remember. I, <laughs> I imagine where Spice Town. So <laughs> oh, where man. is Spice Town? Is that down in Dorn? Uh, I think uh, it's uh, in Essos somewhere. Sp- but, uh, let's see. Is the island off? Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, Spice Town was a town on the island of Dr- Driftmark. Oh, okay. In the Crown Lands, located near High Tide. So it is in Westeros. So, yes, in Westeros, and it's uh, a town on the island of Driftmark, which is the seat of House Valerion. So, not that far from Dragonstone and King's Landing. So, close by to where she lives. Yeah. Unless she lives at court. That is interesting, yeah. I couldn't remember that. I couldn't remember that name, Spice Town. I was like, is that down in Dorne somewhere? Or, yeah, down in near Volantis or... Somewhere over there. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's really sad. Vagar mourning for her dead siblings, Balerion and Meraxes. And we know that dragons have a full range of emotions and feelings that's uh, comparable to humans. Alt-Shift-X was talking about the blood magic done in ancient Valyria and how some people theorize that the High Lords of Valyria may have concocted dragons by crossing the blood of wyverns and humans. Or maybe that the Targaryens were even... Uh, used to in the creation process, or maybe that they were created from the blood of dragons, hence the blood of the dragon. Uh, right. Either way, there's got to be some genetic connection between Targs and fit literal dragons. So that's pretty interesting. And as this is going on, Rhaenys is watching from, Rhaenyra is watching from within the Red Keep, and she's panic, you know, like kind of freaking out, upset about all this, as we talked about how she speaks with Rhaenyra. Um, there is a conspir- another conspiracy theory that the Maesters rigged the vote in 101 AC at the Great Council to save the realm from potential disaster. Um, so that's, that's an interesting little factor that I just remembered as well. She says... Uh, those were... Oh, go the, ahead. The, that little processional at the very beginning at the Great Council of 101, when I was describing it last episode, I just said... Those dudes, uh, you know, whoever they were carrying, you know, that crate, you know, down the center aisle, those are maesters. Yeah. So whoever counts the vote, you know, <laughs> decides the winner, basically, right? So yeah, uh, they're ta- they're talking about like you know the, the great council and everything, and Rain- Rhaenyra says they denied you, Princess Rhaenys, the queen who never was, but they bent the knee to me and called me heir to the throne. And uh, R- Rhaenys shoots back. Do you remind your father's men of that as you carry their cups? And it's like, oh, right. oh man, that kind of puts everything in perspective. Like, you're, they're mm-hmm. calling you the heir, but they're not treating you like the heir. And you better wise up and start making moves. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And we got that line from the trailer you mentioned. So then Otto calls an emergency meeting about Damon stealing the dragon's egg. And everybody's freaking out about that. And again, we have more indecision by Viserys. Initially, it's not until that Rainey's points out that it was Dreamfire's egg, which had been in Balon's crib, which uh, has he had stolen. And it's at this point that, you know, he gets mad and says, I'm going to Dragonstone, basically. And Rhaenyra also gets mad when she learns that it was Dreamfire's egg. You can see her on her face. She, it looks like a look of betrayal. Like, why would Damon do that to me? Because yeah. she chose the egg for Balon. And um, 
it's at this point where he says, assemble and detachment, Otto. I will go to Dragonstone and drag Damon back to face justice myself, Viserys. And Otto says, my apologies, your grace, but I cannot allow it. And I'm like, who is really in charge here? Mm-hmm. He's telling the king he, can't, he won't allow something that the king is saying? Like, this is crazy. Yeah, more and more, it's definitely looking like Otto is running the kingdom. Yeah. The realm. The Seven Kingdoms. Big time. Like, he was running everything when Jaehaerys was in his later days and not really up to anything, feeling depressed and out of it a lot. You know, not not as enthusiastic as he was after his whole family, his wife was dead and his his best buddy, Septon Barth, died and everything. And it seemed like um, Otto Hightower was kind of running stuff. And it seems like he's kind of still running stuff as Viserys plays around with his Valyria model, you know? (laughs) 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 So this then brings us to the final scene with uh, Corliss, and we find ourselves in his office. We mostly talked about this already, but I wanted to point out he's got some cool stuff in there. He's got like a skull of some kind of fish with giant intermeshing teeth that are like huge, like some deep underwater fish. Uh, It kind of reminds me of like an angler fish. They have crazy teeth like that. And then there's that statue that looks like it was underwater for a lot of the time. And half the face is covered with barnacles and stuff. And you can just kind of, you by these things, you know he's been around and gone on oceanic adventures. Pretty cool stuff. So we find out that it's uh, <laughs> Daemon and they they start planning together and relating over being second sons. And <laughs> at first, Daemon is not, you know, too receptive. Uh, he's he's like, I wasn't aware you had a king for a brother after he says they've been cut, cut from the same cloth. But he replies, you know, we're both men who have had to cut our way, uh, our own way through the world. We've been passed over too often. And uh, eventually, they end up sort of connecting about this whole thing. Here's a, uh, there's a funny line where um, Corliss says, I've been petitioning the king to send my navy into the territory, but he's denied me. And Damon says, it was never my brother's strongest trait. What? Being king. (laughs) Which is is hilarious. You know, like, he's a cool guy, and he's got lots of good traits, you know, but being king is not one of them. And uh, so, this it's at this point when Corliss goes on his little monologue where he's attacking... Viserys, the crab feeder, is backed by powerful entities within the free cities who wish to see Westeros weakened, and the king's failures have allowed him to accumulate strength. If those shipping lanes fall, my house will be crippled, and I will not have Driftmark beggared while our king idles himself with feasts and balls and tourneys. And Damon, you know, he's ambitious, but he's loyal at the same time. And he's like, Mm -hmm. "I, I will speak of my brother as I wish. You will not. You know, and he kind of backs off that point and starts changing the way his his plan of attack, this time appealing to Damon's sense of ambition, saying, waiting in the Stepstones is a chance for you to prove your worth to those who might doubt it. We are the realm's second sons, Damon. Our worth is not given. It must be made. And uh, sort of the similar attitude to Tyrion, like you mentioned, who spends all his time reading books and... um, has to had to build everything for himself because Tywin didn't give him anything. You know, he earned uh, a lot of what he does, like the, the, the positions that he got. He went from nothing, being a drunk in in uh, in Essos, <laughs> to rising to being hand of the queen 
for Daenerys and so forth. Um, but yeah, this is an interesting scene foreshadowing some changes in dynamics that'll be probably occurring in the future. I'm expecting some fire over the crab feeder slayer next episode at the Stepstones, Stepstones I'm, I'm guessing. But uh, Damon understands the truth of what Corliss is saying here, that they've got to take action to build their own destinies. And uh, I see a badass alliance in our future with these two. Definitely, you know, Damon and his dragon and an army of gold cloaks with, uh, you know, potentially with Corliss and his you know, fleet of ships. Yep. Hell yeah. So let's see. Let's see if there's anything we didn't talk about here. You know, we probably covered most of the scenes. I have a couple of random just little notes, but nothing major. Okay. What do you got? Uh, so uh, last episode, I said that uh, Sir Harold Westerling was Lord Commander of the King's Guard. Mm. Got ahead of myself. Um, oh, he's Ryan, acting. Right. Ryan Redwine. Right. Who was in, he was in the, the background of the Great Council of 101. And I think he was in the background at Rhaenyra's, you know, announcement. Nice. Or one other time. I, I think he was in the background. Anyway, they said he died. So now... Harold Westerling is Lord Commander of the King's Guard. So I jumped the gun on that a little bit last week. So one small correction. Uh, when she was questioning Kristen Cole about his combat experience, you know, he's Dornish, but um, I guess his parents are the steward of, of Lord Dondarrion. So I was a little bit surprised when they said he fought against Dornish incursions right, he's in, along the Bone Way in the Dornish marches. But I was like, well, he's by blood, he's Dornish. But if his parents serve or, you know, um, Lord Dondarrion, then, you know, he'd probably he, he and his parents would be loyal to, you know, the Stormlands and Lord Dondarrion. So anyway, I was just interested to learn that even though he's Dornish by blood, um, he was willing to fight his the loyalty seems uh, to be loyal to the crown and, you know, the, the Stormlands as they're constantly battling with the, some of the Dornish houses um, along the the Bone Way. The Bone Way. Um, such a cool uh, name that George came up with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, when, the, when I realized it was maggots um, oh, that so were, gross. he had to stick his hand in there. Um, I thought of two, <laughs> two lines from Lord of the Rings when they're um, from the two towers when the orcs have Merry and Pippin on their backs and they um, some of the orcs want to eat them. They said, all we've had is this maggoty bread for three stinking days. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought of maggoty bread. And then I think either right before or right after that, um, one group of orcs meet the Uruk-hai after they captured Marion Pippin. And they say, you're late. And the Uruk-hai say, we don't take orders from orc maggots. <laughs> so the Uruk-hai are this, you know, I, mean, I know different universe, but they're this like special bread, uh, special breed of orcs that, you know, Saruman makes, but the old like goblin looking orcs, you know, are smaller. And anyway, the uruk was, you know, basically putting them in their place, calling them orc maggots. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. I got another note too, which, which is the point Go when um, Alicent gives a gift to King Viserys. And this is in the middle of their discussion about how he has to choose a new wife. And uh, she has had the dragon sculpture from his model of Valyria repaired. And he seems really touched by this. Um, yep. He's smiling and he's 
He's, you know, telling her how what a kind gesture it is, and his uh, excitement about this highlights his ill-advised priorities. He clearly cares more about this model than the actual seven kingdoms that he's ruling over. And uh, with a knock on the door, he oh, composes himself back into king's mode, and or into king mode. And that this, to me, demonstrates that his guard is really down around Alicent, and he seems to have developed a connection with her um, that. Definitely. You know, outside of just being a king, he can be himself with her, you know. So that was interesting. And we there's another scene we didn't talk about with where Viserys meets with Lord Lionel Strong. Is he the master of coin or is he uh I believe he's the master of laws. Master of Beesbury, who's always Beesbury. you know in his cups. I believe he's the master of coin. Definitely. Because last episode they said something about, Oh, don't worry, Lord Beesbury, your gold is going to a good cause or you know, something like that. Yep. <laughs> so uh Lionel Strong over here, Lord Lionel Strong, he's he's basically backing the Valerian uh, side of the argument. Yeah. Um, and saying that like, you should marry Lena because the sea snake and Driftmark makes for a better ally than it does an enemy. That's Ooh, a, yeah. that's gotta be foreshadowing right there. The sneeze the sea snake has made a calculated reach of fair play for a man of his position, if you truly want my unencumbered opinion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there you have it. Yep, and uh, I think that's pretty much it. Awesome. Did you notice the um, as uh, Otto are and his contingent are sailing towards Dragonstone? Did you see the ship? No, I did not. What was it? Oh man, it's like um, the. I mean, it kind of the camera zooms past the ship, and then at the front, there's this big dragon uh, figurehead on the front. Nice uh, uh, of the ship, and then at the bottom, it's like. Feet almost like like sitting in the water, but you can still see it. Oh, cool! Like, it looks like a dragon's they, feet or they something. They stick out forward, and yeah, they stick forward. So it could be like a ram of some type. Yeah, exactly. That could be based off of the ancient Greek vessel called a trireme, which was designed with a nice a ram directly below the waterline to run into other ships and sink them. Yeah, but basically, that's the intro shot for when they are they're getting to Dragonstone, about to face off with Damon, and then uh. it zooms past the ship right to the rocks. And I'm like, well, that's, that ship is pointed right to the rocks. They better slow down. But I mean, they're just zooming past it to give, to give you that big, you know, wide shot of dragons, right. that front gate and then Dragonstone, you know, on the hill up there behind it. Really cool shot. Yeah, so I'm going to have to go back and I take had. a look at that. That's killer. All right. That's all I've got too. That wraps up our top five. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. From The Hollywood Reporter, House of the Dragon renewed for season two at HBO after premiere ratings blowout by James Hibbard. Game of Thrones prequel will get a second season as Sunday's first episode ratings climb to 20 million. The move came relatively quickly following the series premiere of Dragon on Sunday, House of the Dragon on Sunday, which delivered 10 million viewers overnight, an HBO record for a series opener and roughly on par with the premiere of Game of Thrones Season 6. Now HBO report, reports that in the days since the show's premiere, the first episode's viewership has climbed to 20 million viewers in the U.S., 
across linear, on-demand, and HBO Max platforms. We are beyond proud of what the entire House of the Dragon team has accomplished with Season 1, says Francesca Orsi, Executive VP of HBO Programming. Our phenomenal cast and crew undertook a massive challenge and exceeded all expectations delivering a show that has already established itself as must-see TV. A huge thank you to co-creator and executive producer George R.R. Martin and co-creator and showrunners Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik for leading us on this journey. We couldn't be more excited to continue bringing to life the epic saga of House Targaryen with season two. HBO Brass have been bullish on House of the Dragon and previously suggested the company was eager to greenlight another round should the premiere come out of the gate strong. The renewal may not just be important for Dragon's future. HBO has at least seven Game of Thrones spinoff projects in development, four scripted, at least three animated. Dragon opening well enough to warrant a speedy second season renewal could bode well for at least one other project getting an eventual series order. HBO did not say how many episodes will be in the second season, but another 10 seems like a safe bet. The matter of when the show will return is a bigger question. The first season of Dragon required 10 months of filming and a massive amount of post-production visual effects work, which began in January and is still ongoing. It will be difficult for the production to film and VFX another season by the end of 2023, so 2024 return could be more likely. No. (laughs) And now it's time for Raven's Calls. Oh, that's a duck. My bad. (laughs) Tarot Spirit says, yes, I'm so happy you're back. I'm happy you're back, Tarot Spirit. (laughs) Thanks for being with us. Dean says, Duncan, it's Damon, spelt like man, but sounds like man. You're killing me saying it wrong. Bloody Americans. (laughs) I talked to Dean about this on YouTube and... And the only reason I'm saying it like that is because uh, the Targaryens have this tradition with naming people, and uh, they'll change a few letters of a word but keep the rest. And so, Daemon and Aemon are are homages to Aegon the Conqueror, and uh, it's it's more of a book pronunciation. So the people in the show will say Daemon, but uh, in the books it's it's pronounced Daemon, Aemon, uh, and uh, there are some websites that you know, talk about uh, the pronunciations of things like that, but they didn't list Damon, but I kind of logically extrapolated it that that, <laughs> that would match the others. Nice. But okay. it, I know it's, it's, a, it's pretty weird, so I understand where you're coming from, Dean. <laughs> Hope to hear from you again soon. Johnny Stitches. Johnny. Johnny. Uh, thanks for the sirenicide and hearing the haunted shout-out. It's good to have some dragons back in our lives. Dragons, baby. I wouldn't miss shouting out my favorite horror podcasts. <laughs> Matthew Rep. I don't know why I'm reminded of the time Hulk Hogan ended up dating his teenage daughter's best friend. Come to think of it, the Hulkster has that platinum blonde hair of a Targaryen. <laughs> Damon tossing that egg around like Tom Brady with the Lombardi trophy. <laughs> I didn't see that, but it sounds funny. Uh, Sarah Larkham says, It was an amazing episode, and I like the time jump of six months since the pilot episode. Yeah. I love seeing Rhaenyra on top of her dragon. I'm loving this series so much that I hope they can keep it up for 
its entire the entirety of its run. Yeah, that would be great. Keep the quality good. And the Lombardi thing reminded me of uh, the NHL playoffs this year. Whoever won the Stanley Cup, they one of the guys tripped and boom, like dented the Stanley Cup on the ice, <laughs> bent the Ouch. whole like lower part. Pretty pretty brutal. <laughs> All right, that's it for Ravens goals for this week. Just so you guys know, we'll be recording on Monday evenings um, for the duration of the season. So make sure to get your feedback into us early by Monday afternoon so we can include it in the show. I forgot to give you guys advanced warning of that. But so, uh, but yeah, now you know. So <laughs> we'll look forward to hearing from you on Monday next week. All right. That's our show, episode 122. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks so much. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. And on another note, if you enjoy my take on things, you might be excited to learn that I'm working on a project of my own. It's a series in novel screenplay hybrid form that I'm already over 1,100 pages into writing. Just imagine the Da Vinci Code, Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, Stargate, Journey to the Center of the Earth, National Treasure, Project Blue Book, War of the Worlds, Splinter Cell, and Independence Day all rolled into one post-World War II era epic. Solving the mystery of the pyramid's purpose, uncovering the occulted, discovering the history of humanity lost to the ages, deciphering the fate of ancient gods, Egypt, lost civilizations, Tesla, Roswell, Flood Mythology, Hollow Earth, The Fall of the Third Reich, What is the Truth at the Core of It All, The Core Saga. More details soon. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Thanks. Doing some online shopping, then go over to gamermicrophones.com, scroll down to the bottom, and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of GOM. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmagister Stitches. And after that, check out Hearing the Haunted, his new show, an episodic horror. Uh, series. Next episode, we'll be covering House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 3, Second of His Name. We'll be recording on Monday afternoons, just to remind you, for the rest of the season, so make sure to get your episode feedback to us as quickly as possible following the show's airtime so we can include your thoughts on Game of Microphones. If you'd like to call, call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Make sure to join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Each week, we'll be posting a feedback thread where you can leave your thoughts and comments on the new episode for us to read on air. Imp slap. (laughs) You can also watch Game of Microphones on YouTube, Rumble, BitChute, and Odyssey. Audio podcasts are great, but video is better. We're currently trying to build our minuscule subscriber count, so go to youtube.com slash gameofmicrophones and subscribe right now. Likes, comments, and shares are greatly appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at G-O-M Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.
I've been petitioning the king to send my navy into the territory, but he's denied me. It never was my brother's strongest trait. What? Being king. Launch the missiles. Um, <laughs> fire this fire. Fire the missiles. Three, two, one. Thanks for listening. Oh. <laughs> like, what's he counting down for? <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotion promotional offer not available in washington dc